SA's lowest cost bank account is here. No monthly fees, no debit orders and free money transfers. Now you can do even more from your phone for free. Like pay bills and buy airtime or data. And it works on any phone. Register via the ShopRite app or dial this number. Powered by ShopRite. Your inspiration radio. Vuga Online. Another week, another show. I hope that you're all doing well, that you're managing any challenges that are in your life, and that each day has joy, and that you make a point of finding the joy in each day. As you know, the show is about healthcare professionals. It's about you meeting different healthcare professionals and understanding that they are people. First and foremost, they are people. And often we forget that. But the show is also about education. It's about talking about different topics in health that we don't necessarily want to talk about. And today is one of those. You might not love me at the end of it, but uh, we need to be able to be talking about this topic. Before I introduce the topic and my two guests today, just to tell you more about me, I am a coach. I'm a mentor. I work a lot with professionals, especially in healthcare and supporting them on their journey because often there's nowhere to talk to. There is also changing the way we are educating our healthcare professionals. And so that's what I do. Remember, you can reach out to me. Sometimes you're not wanting to ask a question directly on social media. Please DM me, um, contact me through the radio show, or also look for my email address. When we're back, we're going to be talking about obesity. Make sure you're here. I'm going to introduce you to my two guests, but let's go for that break. No one decides to go into debt. It creeps up on you, slowly. Ah! Debt follows debt, follows debt. Unless you do something about it. Face your debt problems before they cripple you. It's time to do something. Welcome back. You tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colin Quist. Today's show is about obesity. Yep, you heard it. We're going to talk it. We're going to unpack it. We're going to say it exactly like it is. And you might be squirming right there in your chair. Lend me your ears because we're going to be talking to my two guests. We've got Dr. Sandeep Bana and we've got Dr. Shinga Mutambura. And more about them. Well, let's first say hello. 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 And hello to the listeners. Okay. Hi, so let's... And thank you for having us on your show. Pleasure. Okay. So I'm sure that everybody knows you, but let's just um, introduce you. So Prof. Shingai is Professor and Chair of the Division of Urology at Safako Mahato Health Sciences University and also George Makari. Academic Hospital, and Dr. Sandeep Bana is Head of Department of Endocrinology and Diabetes at the Chris Hani Baragwanath Academic Hospital, as we all know as Barra, and Founder and Director of the Center for Advanced Medicine. So thank you very much for joining me, and we, we need to talk about obesity. So let's start off with 
What is obesity? So, uh, Colleen, obesity used to be something that we all passed off as just being a cosmetic issue. However, now it is considered a disease. Uh, it's considered a relapsing disease, so it's not going to be going away too quickly. And it's chronic, which means we, it's, the management's going to have to be ongoing. What it is, is a measure of weight um, and one can either choose to use waist circumference. One can choose to use BMI, which, which is a measure of weight against height. And some people just look at the, kilo, the kilograms on the scale. The point is, it is a medical condition. And it has profound effects on a lot of the metabolic conditions. It has an effect on cancer risk. It has an effect on mechanical issues. So I think we'll unpack that as uh, the program continues. But yeah, it's long and short of it is it's a relapsing chronic um, medical condition and it needs to be managed. Yeah. So, Maybe I could jump in there quickly just to mention yeah. that Sandeep and me are, are, are good friends and we've known each other for many years. And one of the reasons is because we actually were involved in male sexual health. And I think what's the, the whole issue about obesity is coming forward is it's not just about your size. It's not just about what, you, what you're eating. It's not about whether you're exercising. It impacts on every aspect of our lives. And that's why obesity is also going to impact on sexual health as well as cancer health, as Sandeep was saying. So every medical practitioner there should be getting involved because the thing is that it's not just isolated to one specialty, just as endocrinology. Sorry to cut you off there, Colleen. No, so great point. It's it's about there that if you're sitting out there as a healthcare professional and you go, oh, I don't deal with that. No, every single speciality needs to know that they're involved in some point. I think also, you know, right now I'm hearing the, the outcry out there of saying, no, but, you know, you have the right to be whatever weight you want to be. You have the right to be whatever shape you've got to be. But as you're saying, it's no longer cosmetic. It's more that it impacts every single aspect of your life. Yeah, no, that's true. I mean, look, you're right. Everybody does have the right to um, be in whatever size they want to. I think the message we need to get across is that that is going to have, have an impact on all of these conditions. And in fact, thus far, there's 229 different medical conditions that are all intertwined into obesity as the cause. And so whether we look at blood pressure, whether we look at cholesterol, whether we look at diabetes, sexual health, cancer risk, mechanical problems, fertility, fatty liver, the list will just go on and on and on. And so that's why I think you rightly said, that no doctor can shy away from this and say, oh no, I'm just a cardiologist. I can't deal with this. Or, oh no, I'm just a gastroenterologist. Or I'm a gynecologist. No. Um, this affects every medical field thus far, and it's going to become all of our problems. So, yeah, I think we all need to be afraid about it and get on with managing it because if one is to accept the right that a patient has to be overweight, as long as a patient knows that it has an impact, medical impact on it, and then that's fine. Then the choice obviously still relies on that person because you, you can't force medical care down people. I mean, once you've been told you've got high blood pressure, the responsibility, of course, is for you to then make the lifestyle changes and get that blood pressure to be lowered with medication. 
course, if you ignore it, there are consequences. And for blood pressure, it's easy. Everybody knows. Eventually, it's a stroke or a heart attack. Well, for obesity has bigger issues. There's 229 things that can go wrong. And I think it's important that we must recognize, like Sandeep was saying, that it's not about body shaming. People like this are saying that, oh, no, you, you, you've got influencers who are saying that people are body shaming them because they're big. We love ourselves. That's perfectly, per that's exactly what we want you to do. You want to love yourself and make sure you're taking care of your, yourself. But you must also take care of your general health. We know, for example, that if you have got, got obesity and you, you whether you, whether you're, 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 you're exercising, whatever, there is an increased risk of getting diabetes, high blood pressure. It, the, the fat that con, that's around the, 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 the gut, which we call the visceral fat, is releasing chemicals which are also causing that. doesn't mean that you must just become skinny or something. That's not the point. The point is that we want to maintain health. And I think maybe Sandeep could touch on the fact about, about how if you have a child, for example, how do you address that? Because we know that childhood obesity is such a huge thing as well. And how do you bring up the topic with them? Yeah, I mean, uh, you're right, Shinga. I mean, the worldwide stats in terms of childhood obesity sits around 6%, whereas in South Africa, we're sitting at 13%. So we've got double the number of obese children in a country our size. Now, the problem with that is once you've got an obese child or an overweight child, the chance of that child becoming an obese adult is 84%. So there's only a 16% chance that if you've got an overweight child, that that child's going to be of normal weight. And that's worrying because that means if we're going to be managing weight from a population perspective, we've already started losing the battle because all the kids that are currently obese are likely to become overweight adults and therein lies the problem. And so that responsibility we've all got to shoulder. It's got to be government that's got to come in, it's got to be society that needs to come in, schools need to come in and uh, play along, the companies that provide foods and fast foods need to come in. And then, of course, um, it's very important. And I think the biggest burden will lie on, of course, uh, the parents. Because they've shown that if a parent is overweight um, or if both parents are overweight, the chances of a child being overweight is very high. And in fact, it's been shown that their pets are likely to be overweight as well. So whilst we can make light of the conversation, uh, we need to be starting early and the approach needs to be multi-pronged if we're going to be winning this battle. And I think what's important is to recognize it's not just uh, both parents who, are, who need to take that responsibility because it doesn't really matter whether it's the female or the male if you're in a heterosexual relationship you're going to be increasing your risk of uh, obesity in your children. Yeah. And so it's not only about calories. I mean, that's an important component, but it's about the quality of the food that is sitting on the plate. And it's a well-balanced between the good proteins, the good fats, and moderate amounts of carbohydrate. And the carbohydrate also then needs to be preferably of low glycemic contents as opposed to high glycemic contents. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a process that needs to be learned. It's, it's not going to be um, coming instinctive to any uh, parent. And the schools need to come in as well and making sure that if you do have a tuck, ideally you shouldn't have a tuck, but ideally if you are going to have a tuck, make sure that they've got healthy options. 
uh, and that becomes very important. And then government needs to come in because, I mean, are we making the spaces safe for children to go out and play like we used to? Uh, are the parks safe uh, from the predators that come in for our children? Are schools uh, allowing enough activity time uh, for 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 these young um, uh, obese children? And then, of course, uh, one that is going to be difficult for all of us to manage, and I don't have an easy answer having two children as well, is how much time do these kids have on their laptops, uh, iPads, their phones, or even on their workstations? Because uh, in the past, on average, uh, people used to, so if you're looking at three decades ago, used to spend about 30 minutes on an electronic device, and now the average is between two and four hours. So that's two to four hours that used to be on the playground, now sitting on a device or in front of a TV. And that's obviously going to have an impact on activity. Now, and also to that point where you think, you know, like when when the older ones were younger, it was also we'd cycle to our friends. We do all those kind of things. And now, I mean, obviously it's not safe enough to do that. But yeah, what I'm hearing you both say is, is that parents need to take take control of this and to be lead by example, not do as I do, you know, sort of it's not do as I say. Um, and then, but also understanding that obesity is one of one of the things that children get the most teased for. They get the most bullied for. Yeah. Now, yeah. Sandeep, if I think your data that you showed me was quite scary about the fact that um, when you look at the bullying in schools, that yeah, that obesity has a higher rate of, of, of discrimination than almost basically any other aspect of, of a child's life, including whether what their, their sexual orientation is. Yeah, even race and cultural differences. So it is shocking that an obese child will have at least a 50 to 60% chance of being bullied or teased based purely on uh, weight. And yeah, I think the responsibility is for all of us uh, to make those changes in our society. Because otherwise, we're going to lose the battle. And I mean, earlier we said that with obesity comes other metabolic problems. Well, the biggest one is uh, type 2 diabetes. Now, certainly when I qualified, it was unheard of that uh, a teenager or a child would get type 2 diabetes. I mean, they were always prone to an autoimmune type 1 condition, and they were normally thin individuals. And I remember years ago, about 25 years ago, one of the pharmaceutical companies wanted to do a research on oral medication for type 2 adolescents, and they wanted to know whether it would be feasible to do a clinical trial in South Africa uh, because they were going to do it in the U.S., and I said, listen, I mean, we don't have any patients with type 2 diabetes at Barra, but uh, maybe they're out there and because nobody's looking, um, uh, let's go and look for it. And so what we did was we said, okay, who are the high-risk groups for type 2 diabetes? And of course, at the time, it was Indians. So we went to uh, a few of the Indian townships and we uh, asked uh, some of the principals for permission, and we sent out letters to the parents to say, can we test your child for uh, type 2 diabetes? And it will just be a finger prick, and we'll make the results available to you guys. And so we had screened over 2,000 Indian children 
who had either one or two parents with type 2 diabetes, and we didn't find not one. Now, every endocrinologist will tell you that they've got a handful of teenage children with type 2 diabetes, and you can see it across all the diabetology practices. So this is what's happening, where years ago, you never had, uh, I mean, and uh, by the way, that trial never took place in South Africa because none of the institutions could identify any child with type 2 diabetes. And now, I mean, it's an epidemic. And so um, let's not wait and make the same mistakes we did with HIV. Let's not make the same mistakes we did with TB, where we wanted to try and shove this condition because there's so much uh, social stigma stuck to this whole thing. And then we try and ignore it and hope it goes away. And then what happens is, years down the line, we have the highest HIV incidence in the world. We've got the most TB in the world. We've got the most multi-drug resistant TB in the world. Let us not be the first in the world to have the highest cases of teenagers with type 2 diabetes. That is not a fact that we want to be proud of. And I think you... So Sorry, sorry, going so, in. Yeah, I think on the sobering fact, let's um, go for a break. And then when we're back, we'll hand over to you, Shingar, to comment some more. Give a little, help a lot. Make getting back to school easier for families by paying towards their PEP lay-by. Give as little as 2 Rand in-store or 20 Rand online. Make a difference. Become a lay-by buddy today. Simply the Welcome back. You're tuned to Healthcare Hour with Colleen Quist. I've got two experts with me, Dr. Sandeep Bana and Professor Shingai Motambura. And we are talking about that difficult topic called obesity, but it's something that we need to speak about. We need to stop this in our tracks. Okay. Shingai, you were wanting to say? Yes. No, I was just commenting on what Sandeep had said because he's an international expert on diabetes. He's got a huge, one of the biggest clinics in Africa. And I think what people don't understand sometimes is the close link between obesity and type 2 diabetes and that type 2 diabetes is like it's almost like a sentence for for chronic problems in the future and if you start at the age of 40 as having diabetic diabetes or fine maybe 10 15 years later that's when you run into problems but if you're getting it at 10 years old i don't physiologically it just gets me even more stressed because maybe seem to be could touch on, on as a growing child how much more dangerous is, is type 2 diabetes and this obesity yeah, I mean, Shinga, you brought out an excellent point. So, I mean, let's just trace this thing again. So, our grandparents were getting type 2 diabetes 60, 70, 80. And we know with each generation, it's coming one or two decades earlier. And so, our parents were starting to develop diabetes 50 and 60. And now, my generation, you're already getting guys in the 30s, 40s, developing type 2 diabetes. Now, we know once you got type 2 diabetes... It's literally a death sentence. So it's not about scaring you guys, but it's letting you know that there are more people dying of type 2 diabetes annually than all the deaths from HIV, TB, malaria, and road accidents put together. So once you've got type 2 diabetes, it has to be managed well because it's a matter of time before you develop complications. And the complications, Shinga hinted, was uh, what we call microvascular disease, where the small vessels are affected and the small vessels are found in the eye, in the kidney, in the feet. So that's why diabetic patients have a higher risk of getting blind, 
dialysis issues and amputations. And then it can affect macrovascular, which is the big vessels, and that's found in the brain and in the heart. So that's why it can cause heart attack and strokes. Now, like Shingai pointed out, normally this kind of complications happen 10 or 20 years into the type 2 diabetes if it hasn't been well controlled. And so if your grandfather was 60, they were going to develop complications at 80. Now you've got a child who's got type 2 diabetes at 16. So by 26 to 36, we're talking about heart attacks, strokes, kidney failure, amputations. So this is not something we need to be taking lightly. This one is going to be a huge problem. So it's not about scaring the population. It's making one understand that obesity, which is the basis of what causes somebody to develop type 2 diabetes, the insulin resistance, is something we need to try and control early. So always look at it as an opportunity to say, ha, if I'm overweight or obese, my risk of these metabolic conditions are higher. Let me not wait to have my heart attack, stroke, kidney failure issues before I intervene. So look at it as an opportunity and say, right, we need to somehow get this weight better managed. And there's many ways one can reach out for help. And I'm sure we'll expand on that as we go along. I think you mentioned also about the, the, you keep saying metabolic, metabolic, and I love that because the metabolic syndrome, as we know it, is related to obesity, to to um, to high blood pressure, sugar diabetes, high cholesterol. But the integral part is waist circumference. Can you maybe yeah. talk us through a little bit about why waist circumference is so important? Why it impacts? Because, like you've already said, basically if you're obese, you're more likely to get high cholesterol, high sugar, all of these things. But how is it? And physiologically, how does that happen? So the metabolic syndrome, by definition, the central component is that waist circumference, right? So when the waist circumference increases, so if, for instance, if let's say if I was a waist a size waist 30 or a 32, and now I become a 38 or a 40, that means there's a lot more visceral fat that you alluded to earlier in and around the organs. Now, the visceral fat is different to the subcutaneous fat. So in other words, if we all now just reach to the bottom of our uh, abdomen and just take a pinch, and what you feel between your two fingers is actually subcutaneous fat. Now, that is not as bad as visceral fat, which is internal around the organs. And that produces a whole lot of inflammatory markers. It produces a whole lot of hormones that are actually harmful. And so they're harmful in a way where it's going to make the person more insulin resistant. And that then feeds on the obesity, makes you even bigger, and it becomes a vicious cycle, and that leads to then type 2 diabetes. The visceral fat causes the weight to go up. And as we know, when the weight goes up, the body has to work a bit harder, including the heart and the vessels. So then the blood pressure goes up, and then the cholesterol goes up, and the quality of the cholesterol worsens. And so the metabolic conditions we're talking about are important because they've shown that if you've got type 2 diabetes, your risk of getting a heart attack and stroke is three times more likely than somebody who doesn't have type 2 diabetes. However, if you've got the metabolic syndrome, which includes type 2 diabetes, then you're six times more likely at the same level. So the, the, the term metabolic syndrome, the whole aspect of increasing the waist circumference multiplies that risk. It's not additive. It's not one plus one, it's two. 
it's one plus, and then you get to a much higher risk. And so, um, yeah, weight is central and it's about visceral obesity. And we need to be aiming for waist circumference as close as possible to what we had when we were 18. Okay, so let's look at what could be done about obesity. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have said, oh, but I've tried so many things, nothing works. Um, I lose it, it comes back again. What can we do about this? Because clearly we need to now be taking action. The time for playing has stopped. You're right. The time for playing has been stopped. So everything you mentioned in those statements are true because people have said, but I've tried. I've tried exercising and I've dieting and I lose the weight and it comes back. That's why some of the international obesity or healthcare bodies have defined this condition and the word relapsing appears in the definition because it's a chronic condition. And so it's not going to go away by magic because some of the causes of obesity are unlikely to change. They need to be managed. And so there are genetic factors which are almost impossible to reverse. There are physiological factors, some of which can be influenced, others need to be managed. So some can be reversed, some can't. There can be hormonal problems. If you've got a thyroid problem, it needs to be managed for life. If you've got an adrenal issue, that needs to be corrected. If you're female in the 30s and 40s and you've got estrogen dominance, too much estrogen, too little progesterone, there's going to be a weight issue. If, there's got, if you've got a fatty liver, if you've got problems with the gut microbiome. So it's important to identify these causes in the person who's having difficulty with their weight. And somebody might just have one pure condition and another might have three or four of these conditions that I've mentioned. And so it's important that one needs to recognize that yes, calorie-based eating plans do work. Will they fail? Yes. Why? Are they sustainable? Unlikely. So we need to get into the psyche of the person we're dealing with and tailor-making it to that person, right? Making that person feel more positive about getting to the goal. And one needs to look at realistic goals. And so um, the studies have shown 5 to 10% weight loss. So whether you are 150 kilos and you lose 15 kilos or you're 80 and you lose 8 kilos, the clinical benefits are, are vast. So you decrease your risk of getting a heart attack and stroke by 50%. You drop your sugar levels, passing glucose by 50%. You drop your blood pressure, the top one, systolic by 20 millimeters mercury. The bottom one drops by four to six. That's better than some antihypertensives. Your cholesterol drops by 30%. Fertility improves by 30%. Cancerous drops. So all of these things, just by getting a five to 10% weight loss. So I say it's always about baby steps. And it's about working on the eating plan, working on maintaining activity. And maybe Shingai can talk about the activity and what is required and how much. And then understanding that there's a neurological aspect to obesity as well, that we are all addicted to looking for food because from a survival perspective, food was always a scarcity, right? We were hunters and gatherers and there were no fridges. You couldn't store food. 10,000 years ago. 
And so the brain is wired to go and look for food and store it as, as long as possible. So neuropsychiatric behavioral uh, uh, aspects need to come into the treatment as well. And then, of course, there's medical solutions. There are tablets, there are injectables on the market, and we can look at that. But always try and identify some of the causes. And maybe let me give Shingai a chance to talk about the whole eating stuff and, and, the, and the activities part. Yeah, before I go into that, Cindy, what you mentioned about genetics, I think needs to be expanded on a little bit. It's not just that some people are born with some funny genes. We're actually, like you put it, hardwired to maintain our weight. And I think when the, the discussion we had about the, 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 the Inuit people and the Eskimos of, of Canada, maybe that story might just bring it to four so that, for that they can understand why exactly it's, there's different genetic aspects, but it's not, it's, it's been there for hundreds of thousands of years, and that's what the real issue is. Yeah, so they, they've already found over 200 different gene loci, which are spots on your, on your DNA, that can contribute towards being overweight. That's, 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 that's remarkable. I mean, there are many genes, right? So this is a polygenic problem, not a monogenic problem. But like you mentioned, the genetics, there are a few syndromes, um, and those are rare. But they they important to be they have to be identified early in the pediatric years and your, your general practitioner can do that where there are PO syndromes just one gene and that can cause obesity and they can be managed right but the Inuit people of of Canada those are a very interesting groups so years ago I remember giving a talk uh, in Namibia I think somewhere in two thousand or two thousand and two and already that study was published where they showed that somebody was worried about obesity in Canada. And let me tell you about the Canadians. They, they are ahead on this race. As a society, they've accepted and embraced obesity as a problem. They've got guidelines. They've got obesity weight management centers and governments even paying for the treatment, right? So already back then, somebody decided, no, let's do a study because what's happening here is that if you look at children in Canada and they were mainly of English or British uh, extract or French extract or Inuit extract. And you look at third generation uh, children, they all sound alike. They, they all go to the same schools. They all watch the same movies. They spend the same amount of time or, or, or on iPads and computers and they eat the same food. But how come the obesity rate in the indigenous population from a genetic pool, we're talking about indigenous population, how come they much more obese than the French and the pure English extract? And so what they did was they got a sample of these Inuit children and teenagers and young adults and put them on a traditional diet, a diet that they used to have two or 300 years ago. And then I got a slide of what they used to eat. And it's a shocker, especially in 2002, because the slide shows um, honey and uh, lard and walrus meat and uh, fish and um, whale meat uh, and, and a lot of fat and blubber. And those days, that was like a swear word to say, shit, if you eat this, you're definitely going to be running into trouble. And anyway, so they put these guys on this uh, three-month eating plan where they were just eating their traditional food. Now, in their traditional food, there was no bread. There was no grains. There was no vegetables to be seen. And what happened over a three-month period 
is the insulin resistance started improving, the blood pressure started dropping, the cholesterol started dropping, and the weight started dropping. And so this shows the genetic influence from one population to the other and how what some foods may affect you may be beneficial to the others. And so this has to be a tailor-made plan. And yes, there are generalizations in terms of, we say, everybody should at least get to 10,000 steps a day because they've shown that anything below 7,000 steps a day, you're putting on weight. So that's like the maintenance golden rule. For me, everybody needs to get to at least 10,000 steps a day. Now, how you get there is secondary. Once you get to 10,000, then we can have a discussion on whether jiu-jitsu is better than marathon running or, or, or strength training and the speed at which you achieve it. That's all secondary. I think we should all need to just get to 10,000 steps a day. And that will go a long way in, in managing half this problem. Shinga, you want to hey, talk about I think... I think just on that, let's pop out for a break. I can see right now we're going to have to have an extended show. We're going to have to have more time in two parts. Somehow or other we'll work it out. But let's go for that break, and then we'll hand over to Shingai to talk about exercise. If you're enjoying this interruption and find the sound of my voice captivating, you may be experiencing extreme boredom. Try new, fast-acting Subaru Impreza in hatch or sedan, formulated with symmetrical full-time all-wheel drive. Cure boredom fast with new Impreza. Stay woke with VUGA Online Radio. 